We are in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, why don't you find it? We are in uh, week number 7 of 13 weeks on the Sermon on the Mount. And I think uh, by this point in our journey together, we probably need to stop and kind of recollect our thoughts. um, Because uh, you know the sermon was heard, responded to in a session, right? Jesus spoke this in a matter of moments. And so we're peeling this thing apart for 13 weeks and um, we might lose our way a little bit. A little bit of the context might slip away from us. I think it's really important to know what file to put all this in when we're all said and done. So let's, let's go back and reestablish what is Jesus doing and what it's about. Do you know what this sermon is all about? Like, could you take it and define it by a sentence? That's really important because I think that's what Jesus wants us to do here ultimately to know where all these things fit together. Uh, There's an American habit when it comes to texts like this, and that is to split it up a thousand ways and then kind of respond to it like you can pick and choose. Like, okay, I'm at the fruit market. I can take apples or I can leave bananas. I don't really care. That is not the intention of this sermon. This sermon is meant to be taken in total, okay? So let let me give you a quick way to... uh, define this or understand what Jesus is doing here. It is the singular description of kingdom life in the fallen world. From, from chapter uh, five all the way to seven, this whole thing is the thought of the kingdom life in this world that we live in. If you call Jesus your savior, if you call him your Lord, if you say he is your king and, and your master, then this right here in total is kingdom living. This, this sermon is the whole message to us. You can't just slice it and dice it and pick parts that you like and, and leave parts you don't, okay? All of it is the singular ethic of God's people. That, that's what it is. So every little piece that we've experienced so far fits in the file of this is how we are to live based on Jesus as our king. And so we're just going to add to that. It's really important, I think, this morning, you'll see in just a second, why we need to reestablish that reality. It's because today we come after your idols, We come after treasure, money. We come after your possessions. So so just so you know, no agenda here. I mean, somewhere months and months ago, uh, those who decide, the preaching collective, said this is where we are. This is the passage we're going to go through. Jesus says this right here in the middle of this sermon. He starts addressing treasure. And so there's no agenda here. This is a real confrontation in light of kingdom citizens living for the king to talk about stuff. And how we respond to to things like that. Okay, with that in mind, trusting that Jesus knows what he's doing, preaching through this sermon, let me just ask you a question. What do you treasure? Now, Paul last week said the answer is Jesus, and I suppose that's true, but let's just be more honest. What do you treasure? More than likely, I know what's going to come up on the list because it's going to come up on my list from time to time. Money. I treasure having more than less. I treasure my 403B so that when I'm, you know, 69, I can retire. I, I treasure my car. I treasure my house. I treasure my business. I treasure my health. I treasure the health of my company. I treasure success. I treasure winning. What, whatever you want to put in that list, we all have it. It might vary from person to person, but generally speaking, there's things that are true for all of us, e- even in that small list. And if I'm going to be really honest and transparent, I really wasn't asking a question, asking you what you treasure. I was making a judgment, because I know you treasure those things. 
we live in the probably most uh, difficult place on the planet when it comes to assessing our values of these things. We have more than the world's ever seen. Every one of us, no matter how poor you are, you have more than most. And some of us have more than everybody. And there's a reality, there's a kingdom reality that Jesus wants to teach us about regarding our possessions and our things and our values and our, our tre treasures. Now, I don't want to bore you with the statistics, but there are people who do assess how Christians do and regarding things and possessions and money. And they would say that Christians aren't more generous than they've ever been. They're less generous than they've ever been. Now, stop for a second. Think about this. Christians who believe that they were dead in their transgressions and sins and been made alive to Jesus with a different perspective completely about what's valuable. Time hasn't done us any favors. The church is suffering, I'm just saying big C, around the world is suffering because we're not, it's not even what it once was. Not that it ever was great. Christians aren't any less stressed about things than, than we were before. We're more stressed. People are more medicated now than they've ever been about just managing the things that stress them. And the things that stress them are the things that Jesus addresses in this passage. Christians' joy is affected by things just at the same level as unbelievers. Something's wrong. There's an issue with what we possess and how we possess what we possess and the joy that goes along with it. People who study such things would say that addressing treasure in a church makes people uncomfortable. I, I get it, I guess. Probably because you think that those who are addressing it have an agenda. I don't. I'm not smart enough for an agenda. I, there's no so what when I'm done other than we'll see what Jesus says. Or you've been somewhere else and someone did have an agenda and it was ne necessarily about what Jesus was saying. It was about what they wanted you to do. And so you've lost trust in leadership. So you really aren't comfortable anymore with anybody talking about what you think you own, okay? But here's the deal, okay? Uh, let me qualify what I'm about to say. And I mean this, I love you. I really, really do. But I don't care if you're comfortable. Not even a little bit. And clearly Jesus doesn't either because he talks about money and possessions more than anybody. So even your Lord, if you call him king, he's coming after what, what you think belongs to you. Um, Jesus talked about money and possessions and treasure more than any other single topic. And that's including if you combine heaven and hell together. You think those are pretty serious doctrines. And yet he deals with our possessions, how we feel about our possessions, our treasures, our money, our satisfaction more than anything else. One out of every six verses in the first three gospels deals with this issue. 16 out of 40 parables that Jesus tells are about this issue. Money, possessions, treasures. Let, let me give you a sample of them. This is going to be really familiar. You're going to know all of them. Mark 10, Jesus. These are the words written in red. One thing you lack, go and sell all your, you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure, there's that phrase, treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Luke 6, blessed are you, the poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Woe to the rich, for you've received your consolation. Luke 14, whoever does not renounce all that he has cannot be, cannot be my disciple. Luke 18, it is easier for, the, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Luke 12, a person's life does not consist of the possessions that he has. Matthew 6, we'll see this in, in a week or so. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. 
Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Jesus using an illustration of how foolish it is to store up, to stack up treasures this, here on earth. In Luke 12 says this, that to the man who is about to build bigger barns to store more of his future and more of his, his provisions, says, fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be now? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now that was just, I can't even tell you how small, just a small, 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 yet very familiar sampling of the things that Jesus has to say about treasure, about possession, about feelings well about our possession, okay? And even though the, fa- the passage we're in today, verses 19 through 24, is very familiar, let's just be honest, it's going to be uncomfortable, And Jesus wants it to be because he's dealing with a reality, okay? And we're going to get to this in just a second. There is a reality. We all deal with this issue. It doesn't matter if you have money or not. That is not the point. There's a desire for satisfaction in things, and and so Jesus deals with it. So let's do what we always do. Let's read it and ask the Holy Spirit to teach us. So we're going to pick up Jesus' words in verse 19. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask for your help this morning. There are are passages that we are more inclined to warm up to, and there are passages we're inclined to run from. This would be one of those. Every person in this can generate excuses why this might not apply to their story or their situation or their behavior or whatever, but Jesus, you know. Holy Spirit, you know. So my my prayer is that you guide my lips and you open hearts. Your people hear, believe, and respond because Jesus is better. We pray this in his name. Amen. All right, this is not going to be complicated. Um... Jesus lays it out. He's got some thoughts about treasure. He wants to give us, okay, kingdom citizen. And he's got five listed here in these verses. And uh, we'll just lay them out one at a time. Verse 19, the first thought he has is that earthly treasure doesn't last. It cannot produce. Now, this is my paraphrase of 19. It doesn't last, cannot produce. Conclusion, don't waste your time. Okay, let's read verse 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Okay, I think there's a perspective before we're really going to glean what Jesus is saying here. There's a perspective on a couple of words that we need to deal with that Jesus says. And we have to understand these words in order for this thing to change us, to have an impact on us, all right, to do what it's supposed to do. The word that I think or the phrases that we got to unpack is what Jesus means by treasures, He talks about earthly treasures. He talks about heavenly treasures. Both of the imperatives, both of the commands are connected to what you do with either one of those, okay? What I'm supposed to not do about earthly treasures, what I'm supposed to do about heavenly treasures. So let's just take them in order. Let's define them. 
Let's start with earthly treasures, okay? What do you think he's referring to when he talks about earthly treasures? Not too complicated. I mean, someone in the last hour yelled out, stuff! Well, that's an American phrase for, I think, what he's saying. Clearly, he's talking about money because he says in verse 24, um, you can't serve God in money. So I think money is one of the things, but, but there's, there's more to it than that. But, but let's just use that stuff to describe it. But if I were to give you a more precise definition, at least the one I, I feel like we need to use as we go through what Jesus says here, let, let's define earthly treasures this way. Earthly treasures, anything that you think is valuable in your world. Anything that you think in this world that we live in is valuable, okay? So that's why when we're all said and done with that definition, we can all go, stuff! Stuff is it. Everyone has different stuff. Everyone has more of this stuff than that stuff. But we're all chasing stuff, okay? But I think we need to dig a little bit deeper um, to, to something underneath that definition, okay? If, if earthly treasure is defined by whatever you think is valuable on this earth, what do you think is valuable? And now you're probably just going through that list in your, in your mind. I'm, I'm going to suggest to you that the answer now is not stuff. I don't think it's stuff. In other words, there's something far deeper than bank accounts or cars or houses or vacation homes or jobs or success or winning or whatever. I think there's so much more behind what Jesus says than that. Here's what we value. What we value is peace and comfort, joy, satisfaction, purpose, identity. Do I need to go on? That's what we value. That's why, that's the only explanation for why in your life all the things, the stuff changes. Because what's consistent is your desire for purpose and joy and meaning and satisfaction. That's why when you're 12 years old, a toy makes you happy. And at 20, it doesn't. You have to keep changing the stuff because you're in a perpetual pursuit for satisfaction. Does it make sense? And at 20, you've changed the list. And at 30, you change the list. I sat here at 8 o'clock and most of 8 o'clock, to be honest, it, there's a lot of retired folks at 8 o'clock. And every one of them, every one of them is not done chasing what it is. It doesn't go every time. It always moves. When I was in high school, I could only think just a foot in front of me. I couldn't think very far at all. I've actually thought about retirement, okay? That wouldn't have entered my mind. Different versions of different pursuits of things in, in everyone's mind, okay? What we value is that satisfaction, that identity, that joy. And you, and you, know, it's, you know it's true. Because it's not the thing that, that, that you have that you have all your hopes in. You're hoping that it delivers on a promise. Now it doesn't, does it? We, we can just admit this, that the, the conclusion of chasing all these things over time always equals the same thing. I got to keep digging. I got to keep trying. I got to keep looking because they don't deliver. Now, I'm not going to quote a theologian, but this has some deep theology in it. It's Jim Carrey, the comedian, okay? You don't need to write it down. It's probably not that poignant, but I think it matters. Um, I'm going to make some assumptions about Jim Carrey. I don't know him. I, I know he's famous because you all know him, and I'm assuming he's rich because he gets paid a lot of money to do movies, okay? Let's just assume those things are true. This is what Jim Carrey says. 
I wish everyone could become rich and famous and have everything they've ever dreamed of so that they would know that it's not the answer. I don't know if he knows what the answer is. All he knows is that having, getting what he's dreamed of, everything else, he's still looking. Okay? Now, he's not the first one to ever feel this way. You know that, right? The world is filled with seekers that are just totally frustrated. We have one in the scriptures, in Ecclesiastes, the wisdom writer. He was given a project, or at least in his own mind, to pursue what was available in the world to satisfy the human heart. And he went for it. And Ecclesiastes is the expression of the wealthiest, wisest man who ever lived, who could finance at a level you've never dreamed of every pursuit of every possible joy this earth, earthly treasures could ever provide him. And he went down the road of self-indulgence and work and money and possessions and pleasure and knowledge at a level you can't even fathom. And his conclusion, it's all a waste of time. In fact, the phrase that he says is it's like chasing after the wind because what I did was I dumped my bucket at pleasure. I got more pleasure than any man could ever perceive and I got to the end and there's nothing. I got to the end of work and I built big things and I got to the end and there was nothing. I have more money. He is, he is called the richest king in the scriptures that's ever lived. There's a book out now, just came out, called The Richest Man Who Ever Lived. That This man is speculating that Solomon is that guy. So let's just say he's the richest man who ever lived. Got to the end, nothing. Chasing, chasing the wind. And here's why. Because Solomon was hoping that those things would bring him happiness or joy or identity or peace, and they didn't. Okay? And by the way, what Jesus also says in verse 19 is that these earthly treasures that we pursue, that we try to stack up and store, they don't even last anyway. They, he says, rot, they fade, they're stolen, they're spent, there's nothing to show for them, okay? Which, if you understand Solomon's story even more, makes this point even more clear, okay? If God truly made Solomon the richest king that ever lived, question, where is his kingdom today? Where is his riches today? Where is his legacy today? Gone, other than these letters or these, these words where he writes and says, I was chasing the wind. There's nothing to show for it. There's no Solomon family who's carrying on the legacy. It's over. It's all gone. Should, should remind us that the richest, the richest of the riches, that's the conclusion of wealth here on earth. They, uh, they don't last. They can't deliver. Jesus says, don't waste your time. Here's the positive version of that command in verse 20. It is this. Heavenly treasure will last and it will produce what you're looking for, so go for it. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Verse 20. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Okay. J just like we did with earthly treasure, we need to define here what Jesus means by heavenly treasure. And if earthly treasure was defined by what you and I think is valuable to us here in this world then let me give you a very simple definition of heavenly treasure. Heavenly treasure is what God finds valuable. And the simplest conclusion of what God finds valuable is what Jesus has been saying in the Sermon on the Mount. See the context? See where this all fits? Jesus has laid out an ethic, a lifestyle, a version, a conviction of life, all of it absurd in the world. Forgiveness, restoration, brokenness, smallness, meekness, service, love, neighbors, all of this stuff. That's what's valuable to God in his kingdom, all right? The people of God 
are to live like the Father. That's the, that's the kingdom life. Kingdom people living out the ethic of Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. So let me just give you an example of how these things work and how these are what I would call the best investments because they never go down in value. They only go up and serve the greatest good. So watch this. So let's just take the very first thing that Jesus said, blessed are those who are broken. They'll see the kingdom of heaven. Brokenness. Pursuing brokenness doesn't sound like anything I ever want to be a part of. Doesn't sound like the positive way to move forward. But Jesus says that's where it all starts. So forever brokenness will reflect the work of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see our helplessness and trust in Jesus. Forever brokenness will bring glory to the Father in heaven. Broken people are going to fill heaven and nobody else. Brokenness will do that. Forever generosity will reflect the transformation of the heart to find our hope in something other than stuff because our hope is in him. Why do we give? Why do we give sacrificially? Why? Because I don't worry about stuff. My hope, my hope is in Jesus and my future is in heaven and God is forever glorified. Forever forgiveness will reflect the cross by which all are forgiven. I forgive, why? Out of what source? Out of the magnitude of mess that God forgave me from. And forever God is glorified and we are little reflectors of who God is towards us. And it goes on and on and on. And, by the way, it never goes down in value. It only goes up. The glory of God is magnificent. On display for all eternity with all these stories of all these people, with all these issues that the the Spirit of God has worked into to produce an offering for God, a heavenly treasure that will not fade, will not rot, will not rust, and no one can steal. It lasts and it gets more valuable to give yourself to them. That's what, that's what Jesus says. They're great investments, so give yourself to them. Live for the king. Live like the king. It is a perfect treasure. And, and by the way, this is a really important point to make, I think. Do you remember, if we go back, if we go, do you remember the reason why uh, you pursue earthly treasures? Because you're looking for hope and peace and identity and satisfaction and joy that doesn't change, right? You're looking for that? Okay, get this. The only way to have what you're really looking for is to treasure Jesus. So if you're out there collecting and doing and getting what the world offers only to end up like Solomon going, it's chasing the wind. It never delivers. Then I'm telling you Jesus is inviting you to see it the other way. You follow after Christ and you come on your knees, the narrow way that leads to life. And I promise you, the things you're looking for in the world will be found only in Christ. That's the the truth. So let me give you a third thought that Jesus offers us about treasure. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. How many of you have heard that before? Almost everyone. Now, I tried to get pithy with a paraphrase to make it really stick, but I I wasn't. I couldn't. I I lost it. I I ran out of pith around noon, I think. Um, But I did write down three thoughts. I'm just going to say them because they might work for you, so whatever you want. This is what I think verse 21 is. Verse 21 is a statement for the confused. It is a truth for the naive. It's an explanation for our broken hearts. That's what verse 21 is. Here's what I mean by that. Um, I have told you over the years many, many times that these imperatives, these commands are not here just in case you need them. Jesus, when he lays down a command, is dealing with inclinations. This is who you are. Just, Just imagine this. On this hillside, Jesus is preaching to poor people. You have more clothes in your car than they have on in their life, okay? They don't have clothes. They don't have food. They don't have house. They're poor. And Jesus addresses their treasures on earth, okay? 
Jesus isn't just throwing this down and go, hey, in 2,000 years, that church in Gilbert's really going to need this one. Every human heart inclines itself to treasure things on earth. Everybody. Your children are born with it. You have it. You can't outgrow it. You're old enough to think you can, but it's still there. It's still hanging around the edges, okay? It's in us. Jesus didn't say this because, hey, you might need it. He gave it to us because he made an observation of our hearts, okay? This is who we are. And what Jesus says here in verse 21 is this. Pretty simple. Your heart is affected by what you treasure. Your heart is affected by what you treasure. And here's what we know. If you're really, really honest, okay, look up. Every person here has had their heart broken with things. If you treasure money, well, eight years ago when all the stuff happened in our economy and your retirement blew up, heartbroken? I don't know if you'd use those terms, maybe. Some of you had husbands walk out, wives walk out. Some of you had your health just fail you completely. Some of you have had these aspirations for a big this or a big that only to have it vaporize in front of your face and, and you're left there going, man, my heart's broken. And I can tell you why your heart's broken because you gave it away to another treasure and it can't deliver. It could never do that to you. It was only gonna, it was only gonna break your heart. What Jesus is doing here in verse 21 is simply giving us a sentence to remind us that every time we hurt and every time we're disappointed, God is exposing a wrong treasure. I don't care what it is that you're dealing with, God is exposing a wrong treasure and he's inviting us to a lasting peace by treasuring him above all else. Whenever you run into the full face of disappointment, you should hear God saying in your ears, come to me and experience freedom from disappointment. I will not let you down. And it doesn't mean he's going to make you rich or make you healthy or make you whole or make every idea work out. He's just saying that you gave your aspirations away only to get defeated by a thing. Come to me and I'll never let you down. You will never be defeated. You are my child and I love you. That's the promise of the gospel. It's the promise of Jesus, okay? He's inviting us there. Let me give you a fourth thought from Jesus about treasure. Verses 22 and 23. Um, if you're honest, if you read through this text, you look at 22 and 23 and go, ah, these probably belong somewhere else, right? They just seem so weird. If it read from verse 21 to 24, contextual, reads easy, makes sense, 22, 23, you're hard to understand, what's the point? Let me, let me give you what I think is what's happening here in these verses. Verses 22 and 23 is Jesus' solution for your disappointment. And you're not gonna, I, I don't wanna judge, okay, I won't judge. You'll be surprised by what the solution is. You ready? Generosity. And I'm just not making it up. This is not some preacher kind of coming back around the back way to get to money. It's not that. This is what Jesus says here. Let me prove it to you. Verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if the eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Two really important words to understand what it is that Jesus is saying here. Verse 22 
The word I want you to notice is healthy. And verse 23, the word I want you to notice is bad. If you have a King James Version or ever read the King James Version, he, he uses or that, that uh, translation uses different words. For those two words, it uses single for healthy and evil for bad, okay? Those are more in line with the original language. But let me tell you what the original word in the Greek is for healthy or single. Ready? Generous. Generous is the word. It is the word that's used over and over again in scriptures. For instance, James, when he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, come to God. Who gives it what? Generously. Same exact word. In Romans chapter 12, when Paul is instructing the church to use its gifts to bless one another, and he says, some of you have the gift of generosity, use it. Generosity, same word. Many, many places, same word used for giving, okay? The other word I want you to notice is that word for bad in the ESV or evil in the, in the King James Version. It is the word grudging or stingy or ungenerous. So I, I kind of pictured this when I figured out, I think, what he was saying. I pictured Jesus preaching to multitudes of people, and most of them poor, by the way. So just kind of get that in your mind. And the confusion on their face when he starts saying, don't treasure things on the earth. And they're going, what, what, what things? What are you talking about? What, what things? I have nothing. I don't even know where lunch is coming from, okay? And so I, I can sometimes look at you and go, confusion. Like, what does this really mean? And so let's kind of pretend that Jesus is speaking to us here. And he says something like, everyone looks so confused about treasures in heaven and about not storing up things here on earth. And this is why you're confused, because you're blind. Your eye's not bad. Your eye's not, your eye's not good because you're not generous. If you were a giver, if you gave and met people's needs, if you were a channel by which God blessed the people around you, your neighbor and your world, this would bring true to you. But you're in the darkness because you hoard. That's, in essence, what he says. You don't know the difference between earthly treasures and heavenly treasures because you are totally into earthly ones. Let me paraphrase. I, I took the time to write down what I think is a, a decent rephrasing of what Jesus says here. See if this helps. If your eye, the eyes of your heart, your compass, your rudder, what drives you, what moves you, if the eyes of your heart, if it's generous, then your whole body will be full of light, full of understanding, full of truth. That's what it'll be. But if your eye is stingy, if your eye is stingy, then your whole body will be full of darkness, no understanding. You're not going to get this at all. If then the light, and by that he means what you perceive to be true or your version of truth, if it's really darkness, how great is that darkness? Do you understand? Like, if you think, if you think that all these promises, all these truths about laying aside your life and taking up Jesus doesn't apply to your stuff, your possessions, your hopes, and your dreams, and you think you have to have an exception clause to this particular section of Scripture, you're never going to see this. And the only cure to it, the only cure to it is open up and give. That's the only cure Jesus says, meet each other's needs. Give. Now, if I rephrase it, I would say it this way. True generosity will clear up any confusion, any blindness you have about this kind of treasure. Because you'll see the value. You'll see the value of the eternal good that blessing someone else without has in the future. 
That offering lasts forever. My house doesn't. That, that forgiveness goes on and on and on. My car doesn't. Generosity frees you from the disappointment of treasuring things, right, that let you down. You're free from that. Now, I told you before I don't have an agenda, and I, and I really don't, but Jesus said it, so I suppose we need to ask the question, do you believe it? Are you uncomfortable? Do you believe it? Do you really believe that he says, do not treasure things on earth? Is it exclusive? Do you believe him? I don't know how you even obey this unless you believe him. You might be one of those people who's still holding out hope that Jesus got this one wrong. <laughs> he's pretty good, but he's not bulletproof, and he missed here because there is some good in the treasures here on earth. Maybe you're one of those. Well, I think you're going to be disappointed there too. Let me give you one more thought that Jesus has on treasure. Verse 24, I believe he's saying there's a decision to make. No one can serve two masters, for he either will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Here's what Jesus says. You can't have two masters. You can't treasure your treasure and his. You can't. You can't have them both. Exclusivity, all right? I suppose if there's an accusation that could ever be leveled against the American church, it's this one. We want everything that Jesus offers. We just don't want it to cost us anything. I don't want it to hurt, Jesus. I want, I want heaven and I want forgiveness. That far is from the east is from the west. I really dig that part. Can you do that for me, Jesus? Just don't have it hurt me any and don't let it cost me any. Just so you know, church, there is not a salvation like that. Every person who would truly call themselves a Christ follower has to make a decision to lay down your life. And only you would know what it is of your life that you're holding on to plus Jesus. You're the only one who'd know that. And he simply says, you can't do both. And, and, by, and by the way, Jesus is not warning us here to be careful about loving our valuables and our money too much. Hey, heads up, you want to strike a balance here. That's not what he says. Either or is what he says. You cannot love both your money and your God. Isn't that what he says? Church, isn't that what he says? Exclusive, definitive. We're not going to do this in our, in our study of the Sermon on the Mount, but in 13 chapters, Jesus runs into a man who basically has this sermon from Jesus to him, but it's a real story. Let, let me read it to you. And behold, a man came to him and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all, all, these, all these I've kept, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure, that phrase, treasure in heaven. And then you, then you come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. 
that young man was faced with a decision. The same decision every person in this room is faced with. You want Jesus? You want your stuff. You want your version, your definition of comfort and satisfaction and identity and purpose and joy? You want that? You already shook your head when I asked you, hasn't it let you down? Did it disappoint you? And you said, yeah. Well, you're just going to keep going on that treadmill or would you take up Jesus? And never be disappointed. You can't have both. That's what he says. You can't treasure Jesus and everything else. You can't serve both God and money. Now, let me just, for those of you who want to run up here afterwards and correct me on a bunch of things, let me just put in all the, what he didn't say so you can just go home and feel okay. Um, Jesus did not say that you shouldn't own things. It's not true. Scripture tells us how to respond to the things that we own. There's, there's not a, an imperative against owning things. It doesn't say that you shouldn't work hard. In fact, the Scripture says just the opposite. Work really hard. Earn your keep. The scriptures, uh, Jesus is not saying that you shouldn't save money or invest money. Clearly, those biblical principles in, in, in doing so. Nor does Jesus say that you shouldn't have fun with what you have because even the Ecclesiastes writer in, in Solomon says, hey, you should enjoy the work of your toil. Use it and have fun with it, okay? So, so with those qualifiers of what he didn't say, um, we need to deal with this. Jesus knows us. Would you agree to that? He knows us, and he knows that we will make a savior out of the things we pursue and not savor him. He knows we'll replace as much as we can, as soon as we can, like, I'm happy here, Jesus. So he simply says, listen, I want to be your savior, but you keep replacing me with things or moments in time, different events, different business things. You keep replacing me with stuff. And he says, you can't have it both ways. You can't trust in both. So Jesus leaves us with a decision. Pretty simple. Who are we going to serve, church? Who are we going to serve? Like, who are we really going to believe? Will we lay down the earthly treasures and, and value the heavenly ones? Let me close with this. Um... I'm not going to lie to you and say these aren't imperatives because they are. They're commands. You, uh, you notice them. Do not lay up for yourself treasures. Do lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Those are there's imperatives. They're, they're commands. But I'm going to ask you uh, for a little favor. I want you to look at it differently. I want you to look at this section as not so much of as a command, but as an invitation. That's how I want you to see verses 19 through 24. This passage, like everything else in this Sermon on the Mount, is an invitation to come and to pursue the joy and the blessing of the upside-down world of God's kingdom. Jesus started this whole sermon with, blessed are the poor in spirit. Come and enjoy this kingdom, but you've got to come at it from a different perspective because nobody would pick poor in spirit to start this. Hey, blessed are you when you mourn and when you're meek. The upside-down world of the kingdom is become little so that he can become great, and in his greatness, you find most satisfaction. That's the upside-down world where our world says, you work it, you plan it, you scheme it, you control it, you buy it, you store it, you save it, and in that, that effort, that human effort, you're going to find whatever version of peace is offered. And Jesus says, no, it's always going to disappoint you. Just you have to turn away from that and pick up this really upside down thing called smallness, smallness and trust and meekness and brokenness. And in that, you get everything God provides. So 
Here's what else is upside down if we add this passage. The treasure you seek is found only by letting go of the treasures you have. That's backwards. I want treasure. Well, you gotta let go. Of what? Your treasures. Because the treasures you'll get by letting go of the treasures you have is the treasure of Jesus will last forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, I've got issues with this subject. Personally, these are struggles for me. And I, I know I'm not alone. So I do pray. I pray, God, you would uh, continue to shape us, convict us, give us faith, not just to believe that you're real, but believe that you care, and that by letting go of our treasures that it really will be everything that we dreamed of. God, help us to leave the idol of comfort and of health and of plenty and be satisfied only in the comfort of Jesus. God, in the, in the power of the Spirit, you can, you do, and you will do that. We, we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen.